Welcome to the Daily Naked Pair Podcast, brought to you by Rocco Blue, the first ever brand focused on supporting parents with special needs children. Naked Parent Nation is a group of parents with special needs children who are willing to get vulnerable, strip it all down, and take a look at ourselves, our parenting, our family, and our plans to create a life beyond our wildest dreams. Hello world, thank you for tuning in to the Naked Parent Podcast. My name's Chad Ratliff and I'm your host today. And today I would like to introduce you to someone whose story is as cool as her name, Amaret French, who's with us, is an author, educator. She's actually autistic and she helps families of autistic children better understand the way we think so that we can celebrate our differences and focus on our strengths. She's a believer of guidance versus training. She offers Montessori-aligned one-to-one coaching to provide skills and techniques. The mother of Montessori twins, you can find her on Instagram at french.family.montessori at frenchfamilymontessori.com, which will be in the show notes so that you didn't have to write that down right now. And her book, Hello, I Have Autism, an Autistic Children's Guide and for Those Who Care from an Autistic can be found on amazon.com. And we'll hear more about that on today's show, but let's welcome Amaret French. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited for this conversation. You like, usually a guest goes into like one category or another cat, like professional or parent. I mean, you like fill a lot of different categories for us. So like, tell us a little bit about when you for yourself started knowing that something was different or that when did you, when did you get a hunch of autism? So we know, like, I've always known, I always said that, you know, I always kind of felt weird. I actually did uh, um, this past weekend. I actually shared like my story. And from the very beginning, we knew something was off. I didn't like to be held. I didn't like to, as an infant, I didn't like contact. You couldn't see facial expressions. I didn't understand what was going on with facial expressions. Interest, my interests were very like, I'm a shark nut, just so everybody knows I love sharks. But so we knew, my family knew. And actually, it was, it was interesting because um, my mom was raised Catholic. And during meltdowns and stuff, she actually thought I was possessed. And she, was t- she would tell me stories. She's like, I remember praying, God, take this demon out of my child. And it's oh like, no, it was, just melt- it was just meltdowns. And then as I got older and seeing my sister, you know, having friends and things like that, and I always knew something was really off. I wasn't diagnosed to an adult, which is very common for women, but I knew something was really off because when I was finally given the sheet and it's like every single thing that I knew I was much different than other kids. I just didn't know what was wrong. I always thought, you know, because of my extreme, I always felt like I was extreme. So I always thought it was, I think it's called, I don't want to use the other name because I think it's offensive. So I think it's disassociative something disorder. It used to be multiple personality disorder, but uh-huh. um, so I thought there was something because it just seems so extreme or bipolar, but now as an adult and I know everything and I know what my triggers are, it's completely, it's a way different experience. 
Wow. So I can't tell that you have autism. Did your peers? Oh, yeah. And something was different. Oh my gosh, in college, I say it's hilarious, but um, in college, well, one, all my, I was actually taken out of school and homeschooled because I was having such issues in school. Like, and here's something I always tell parents, if I would go to school and I always got really good marks, not necessarily my grades, but oh, she's so polite. She's so quiet. She's so, but at home I was a, a complete, I was having outbursts. I was having meltdowns. And the thing is, is we're so used to masking around others and behaving and not being able to like, I know what my stimes are. I know what I need to do. But when you mask so much, you get at home where you're safe and you're in your comfort place that you can just be you. And sometimes that means you have to release, you get, you know, outbursts and stuff because you're, you spent so long not being yourself. Like for instance, tomorrow, I know I'm going to need a down day because this is taking so much energy and so many spoons. Yeah. And um, emotionally, how did that work for you? Was it uh, something that you suffered from, like finding this out or did you roll with it? What was it like for you emotionally? Oh, as a child, it was definitely extremely difficult. Like I wish a, a part of me wishes my parents knew, but I wish they I'm glad they didn't because I know I asked my mom. It's funny when I was actually diagnosed, my mom sitting there and she goes, She felt horrible because one of my punishments as a child was to write sentences. And then if my sentences, she couldn't read it, I'd have to write like five more. And I have really bad fine motor skills, which is very common in autistic children. And she felt horrible. Like she, she got really upset because she's like, I didn't listen. I didn't know I didn't. And I know she would have put me in ABA therapy, which would have completely destroyed me. I wouldn't be the person I am today. So I'm glad that she didn't know. So it's kind of a mixed thing. It's kind of like, I wish I knew so that I could have started so that we would have known so that I could have been treated differently. Like there's other children that I help and it's like, we can go a different route. For instance, if my, I have children and they might, it's a high likelihood that one of them may have autism. When I always say, you know, early prevention, not early prevention, early detection, and it's not so that I can try to prevent something, it's so that I can recognize sensor issues, like sensory issues and triggers because I want to be able to support them. Like if they have a sensory to a food, I don't want to continue trying to do this or that. I want to be able to support them and make it so that they don't have meltdowns and stuff. So I wish I knew, but I wish I didn't know kind of a thing. I don't know how to really describe it because it's kind of like a mixed bag. It's one of those things like if I knew it could have been worse, I don't know. You mentioned if you did ABA, it would have destroyed you. Do you care to share on that? I will. I'm going to share in hopefully like way because I always feel bad because I feel like parents when they first find out their child has autism. One, the first thing when you think autism, the first thing you think of is, oh my gosh, it's bad. You're bombarded with images from the media and stuff of like, it's something scary. It's something horrible. And you're not shown like some, a lot of the gifts that you're given. And even with some children, it's like, it's hard to see those gifts when there's so many challenges. There can Mm -hmm. be so many challenges. When a parent goes in and they find out, they want to know, okay, what am I supposed to do? And the answer is always ABA therapy. 
even the military, like they're not covering certain from last I knew I could be completely wrong and things could have changed. But last I knew back in May, they stopped covering certain like in schools and stuff, ABA therapies. I believe it's called Trinity Healthcare. It's an answer. Like, you know, people need an answer and it's just an easy like, oh, here, do this. And it's not necessarily a fit for all. And some of the stuff that happens in ABA, I've had clients send me videos and stuff. I'm like, I can't watch it because some things that come off as harmless can be actually painful to us. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand because our brains are literally wired differently. That's something that may be like, oh, it's just, uh, they're uncomfortable. They'll get used to it, like a desensitization. And it's actually painful. Like cold, cold weather is painful for me. So like, I don't know exact temperatures, but like under 40 degrees. So if you keep exposing me, it's not going to go away. It's just painful. And certain things I have, like moving, it makes it so that my mind can think and focus. Like I'm sitting here doing this and it's making it so that I can have a conversation with you. If I'm not able to move or if I don't have like, it regulates it. So then I'm able to function. So to stop a child from doing something like that is kind of not always the best. It all depends on the child and different things. But from what I've experienced, from what I've been shown, it seems harmless, but I'm going, oh my gosh, no, don't, please. Can you give an example of an activity that they might engage in that would potentially harm or not benefit? Yes, noises. Like taking away, one of my clients had sent me a video of um, her child had something that it rubbed. It was like, a, I don't know if it was like a rag or a, like a blanket, but it was something similar to like why I'm using. I'm using like a little jewelry thing. And I just like, you know, because that's one of my stimes. And they were trying to prevent them from styming. So they would take it away. And then they'd be like, okay, do it was like a hammer. They wanted them to hammer. And it's very clear that the child had a sensory, like the noise was just too much. It's even like chewing chewing cereals. I use it as an example like that. I can't do it. It's too, it's just too much, but I can listen to heavy metal, but chewing cereal is too much. And it's the child's obviously like, it's a painful experience. Like they're in pain. They don't to someone else. It may look completely harmless. Like, Oh, they're just trying to get them to hammer, uh, to do a hammer. And from videos I've seen, it's like they go too quickly. There's no time. Like the way sometimes we process stuff, it's like, it has to go a little bit slower. So it's like, it was too quickly, the way that it was happening. It's like, you know, just stop. So like when I work with a lot of parents, unless it's a harmful behavior, like hitting your head against the wall, I let it happen because it has to happen for a reason because it'll manifest one way or another. So like this, there's a reason for that. And it's something else that can't be relieved another way. There's some kind of an energy. There's something that comes out when you do this. And if I go like this, that's not the same thing. It's not going to, but or le- like I said, unless it's a harmful, like they're harming themselves, you learn to deal with it. If your child needs to do it because it can lead to self-harm, that's one of the biggest things I've noticed is self-harm is it can lead to self-harm in other ways. So it's like, unless it's, they're hurting themselves, just, you know, we can work with it. Okay. So the stemming is... It's, it's self-regulatory. Yeah. Simming is awesome. A lot of people sometimes think it could be negative because you like, keep in mind, everybody does something different or whatever. Cause sometimes yeah. like you walk around and you're like doing weird, you know, different things. And someone goes, Oh my gosh, that looks, are you happy? Are you painful? Sometimes it's neutral. Sometimes it's happy. Sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it's, it can be whatever, but it's a self-regulatory. It's almost like I kind of explain it's like a, a pot bottle, like something has to come out and it's just kind of a way you kind of get it. out. It's like you just have to move. You just have to get it out. It's kind of 
Did that explain it well enough? Yeah, it does. <laughs> okay. it does. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say, but I think a lot of it, at least for me, was fear of how I looked in public or something like that. And so yeah. I didn't want it for that reason because I felt embarrassed in the grocery store. I've I've since evolved from there. I grow slowly, but I do grow. I was going to say, that's one of the things I work on the most is confidence. I had a parent who was like, their child was, they were invited to a family event and all of them were invited, including their child and their child has verbally stems. And this parent was concerned and she's like, you know, I get embarrassed. I'm like, does your family know that they verbally stem? Yeah. They invited them anyways. Take them. And if somebody looks at you, and this is confidence, your child learns their confidence from you. If you act ashamed or if you act embarrassed or if you act a certain way, they're going to learn that they need to be embarrassed. They need to be ashamed. They don't. They need to be, you know, I can do, they're not harming someone else. They're not harming themselves. Then let them do. And I remember when I was with someone and they were rather young and somebody came up to me and they said, you know, so-and-so, I don't want to give the name or anything. And -and so-and-so is doing this okay, they don't say, oh, all right, they're not doing something wrong that nobody else is going to. So I told the parent, I said, you know, if your family knows, they know they're fine with it. And if somebody from your family looks at you or whatever, just look at them back. Yeah. Because what are they, are they going to say? Some probably they're likely not going to say something to you. Are they going to say your child's being weird or whatever? No, they can do their own thing. It's a uh, confidence. We need confidence. That's great advice. I love yeah. that advice. What's one thing that you uh, know now that you wish you knew back in the day? For myself or for others? Like I said, you cover so many bases, you don't fit in one of the categories. Oh, yeah. Something, you know, because to a parent, you know, it might be something, you know, they treated their kid, you know, in a wrong way or something like that. Now that they have this new information. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I'll do myself. So for myself, I wish I knew because when I started, I started college at 15. And it was so the social structure and everything was so much of a change. The only way I could, um, there's routine and there's safety in our routines. So when our routines are off, it's everything's off. If it's the whole, even just one little thing could be off and it pretty much ruins our whole day. And I really wish I knew how important a routine was because I, I didn't know. I wish I knew how important a routine was and to not have changed because it definitely... In that environment, I learned to control. I developed an eating disorder as a form of control. Mm. And I wish I knew that I needed to take time. So each week I have time that I take to myself. Like I I think I told you before we started that I know tomorrow is going to be a down day. I won't be going out. I won't be hanging out. It's just a chill day. And it's important to do that. And I wish I knew that when I was younger. Like it's important to have downtime. And when you have a family event, even if your child seems like, they're fine the next day. Just try to do more chill stuff. Try not to leave. Try to stay home. Try to hang out kind of thing. I wish I knew that. That's awesome. So, I mean, are you routine driven today oh, yeah. like in your household? Yeah, I have identical twin girls who are too. And I always get people saying like, oh, how do you do it with twins? And how do you do it? I'm telling you, autism is a gift because... My routine is so structured and children like structure. So by having the structure that I need, and because I think a lot of parents, like um, I would notice it with my sister, I'd be like, 
you know, we do this, 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 and this with my nephew. And she goes, oh yeah, we do that too. It's like, no, you miss the, the, oh, we'll do it. And like, no, 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 no. You have to do it at this time. Like you can't mess it up. So for me, it's like everything gets done and they really rely on everything. You know, we go to bed at 12, we get up around one, two, we go to, we do, and it really helps. So I, yeah, it's awesome. awesome. It's so good. So good for your kids. I mean, I can think of a lot of situations where it's been challenging for my Mm -hmm. kids that was built around chaos or not routine. That wasn't Detroit Red Wings, was it? Heck yeah, it was. Really? I see see your tigers. (laughs) Awesome. It was like, Um, you have very good taste. I'm not a baseball fan, so I don't really know if you do, but... I'm actually a Lions fan more. I just, the, the logo doesn't work as well. I'm from Detroit. Ah, are you editing this out? Depends. I was going to say, because I was going to say where I'm from, but I can't, if I have it, we keep it very secretive because we had an issue with the girls at a farmer's market. Someone like tried taking them. So we don't say where we live. Maybe after the show. Okay. Yeah. That's, That's awesome. What's one of the worst moments on your journey as yourself? For myself, I think it was definitely my teen years, like not knowing because like I can't read faces. Emotions are really difficult. It was definitely those teen years, especially because, you know, like I said, I started college when I was 15. So I went into like an adult and I didn't know. So I really got hit with self-harm, eating disorders, things like that. Like I said, I really wish I knew what I knew now because it would have been beneficial. And that's kind of like why I like sharing with parents now. It's like, don't do that. You need to do this because it can lead to here. But that's really something that was, yeah, seniors. <laughs> can you talk a little bit about how you say you can't read facial expressions? You can see the expression on my face, right? You just Okay, like, so I... I shared a little bit about this. I actually did a a little bit of a post about it because it's almost like a mask. I can see certain things. Like one of the things in ABA therapy that people always told me that bugged me is smiling. They force smiling because they say smiling means happy, but that's not always true. How many times does someone smile when they're not being honest? The facial expressions I see are happy. Like when somebody's smiling, I'm assuming it's happy. If you're not, you're going to have to tell me. Or when somebody's smiling or um, otherwise I think everybody's mad. And I didn't really realize I didn't know this. You don't know something you're missing unless somebody shares it. But we were at, um, I was at the blind side and there's some sad part or something and there's something going on and I have no idea what's going on. I'm looking around and people are crying. Like, why the heck are people crying? So I'm asking my partner, I'm like, what the heck's going on? And even now, like with movies and stuff, I can't read what the heck is going on. Like music happens. So I know something's off. Like what the heck is going? I'm the worst person to watch movies with. I'm like, what's going on? I don't understand what's going on. It's almost like a mask. It's like, I can't, like you're smiling, but I don't know if you're actually happy right now because I'm so used to people being like sarcastic and stuff. Like I can't tell sarcastic sarcasm. Like people have to tell me I'm very sarcastic, but I can't read it. Somebody has to tell me. And that's another thing I heard in ABA therapy as they try to do it. And even my husband said, well, you can read faces now. No, I can't. I've learned other things. So for instance, if someone's looking at their watch or looking there, or if their feet are turned, I know that they're bored. I cannot read it on their face. So I have no idea. That's another thing is people think certain things are being helpful. And it's like, 
it's not though. I don't know. And I'm a very expressive person, I think. But my husband says that a lot of times my facial expressions don't match what I'm saying. And my tone, I have to be really cautious. And sometimes he'll say, you know, did you mean to be angry with the girls? I was like, no, I was concerned. I was telling them something. And he Uh, says, your tone comes off as angry. I have no idea. I don't know. Because most of the time, like in the morning or when I'm not masking, I sound very robotic, like very monotone. And I'm very neutral. Obviously, now I'm asking like I'm here and I'm cheery and I'm, you know, but yeah, with facial expressions, I have no idea what the heck is going on. And movies are like the absolute. And that's why I like cartoons. Like I love cartoons because it's very tends to be very clear. Like when they show like when you're teaching children emotions, emoticons are awesome. You can type in sad and they have sad emoticons come up. But like angry is a red face. Of course, that's angry. You know, stuff like cartoons make sense. But people, you don't get red. Oh, wait. I mean, you might get red maybe. But I mean, but you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I could be like, so as a kid, it's funny. You look at pictures of me as a kid and like, I'm not smiling, but I'm extremely happy. I'm in flipping Disney world. I'm happy. But like, it doesn't look like I'm happy, but I'm extremely happy. So yeah, I can't read facial expressions to save my life. Are you you general? Like, you seem like a very positive person. Are you generally positive yeah yeah I, i'm just usually upbeat and awesome. i think i am somebody else might disagree and say i'm a jerk but i try to be upbeat and positive because that's how like if i'm gonna share something with you who are you gonna listen to me like this or are you gonna listen to me if i'm not a po- i don't know i'd rather be a positive person i guess well, i don't know i never really think of myself as a president i just think of myself as me and i like to be nice and kind and that's awesome yeah that's awesome. You seem like you're nice and kind. Oh, um, thank you. Any aha moments along the journey that stand out for you? Oh my gosh. <laughs> for a long time, I was called nicknames. Like my sister would call me Bones, and I had an ex boyfriend who would call me like Spock and Sherlock and Sheldon and things like that. And I was reading something, and something came up about now, keep in mind, Asperger's is no longer a used term for a few reasons. But I was reading something that came up. I was like, all these people would be considered, like all these characters would be as have Asperger's or be autistic. And so that was kind of interesting. But really what was like, so that was kind of like, wait, no, I can't. No, they're just teasing me. I'm not really act like Sheldon. I totally act like Sheldon. But when the counselor gave me, when my therapist gave me the list and every single one fit, it was like, holy cow. And because for years and years and years, I knew something was wrong. I didn't act like my peers. I knew I didn't act like my peers. I didn't want to do the same thing as my peers. I didn't act like a traditional female. I knew something was off. And I'd see counselors and they say, oh, you just have ADHD. Here's Ritalin. And yeah, I knew, you know, it's comorbid with autism. So yeah, it's completely common. But I thought for sure I had like, I said, bipolar or multiple personality disorder. I thought I for sure had something else because of extremes. And they'd say, oh yeah, you have bipolar, but nothing fit or not bipolar. It was a borderline personality, but it did not fit me at all. And then to be given this list and it was like, holy cow, like there's the answer. Like I've looked for years and years, something's wrong with me, something's wrong. I remember telling my mom, I'm like, something's wrong with me. I don't feel like like other something's wrong. Like people will talk about dreams and things and I never fit any of that. And so then to finally get the answers and have her give me the list where everything fit after having people go, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And it's like, it doesn't fit though. To having everything fit was really like, it was freaky. I'm going to be honest. It was like a really freaky moment. Cause I felt like 
I almost felt like it was a joke. It was almost like, did someone follow me and write down even like the gender stuff? Because, you know, a lot of us have problems with identifying as one gender or another. And it's like really like then you feel like this, but you kind of act it's it's really muddled and stuff. And so everything fit and it was the weirdest thing ever. It was so weird. So that was probably the ah moment. Was it um in one sense, I would think that you're you felt kind of found to see and be so connected to the different characteristics that were on there. Was it a positive or negative experience? Was it so I, I'm, I'm going to be 100% honest here. So at first, and keep in mind, when I was diagnosed, it was when autism was really negative. You don't vaccinate your kids just in case they get autism. Um, it was a really bad thing. So I didn't know anything about autism other than it was something you don't want. <laughs> it's really bad. And obviously, I don't feel that way now. I went in with my ex actually for counseling. And we went and sought someone who specializes in autism because he was convinced I had autism. I was like, no, you have it. I don't have it. Whatever. I'm yeah. like, I don't have it. So we went. And after being with her for a little bit, she goes, he definitely doesn't have it. She goes, I am 99% sure we'll do the DSM-5. I said, I will only do it if it's not official. I don't want it official. And the reason I did is because you had said, did my peers and stuff know every professor I had, almost every professor I had was like, are you sure you're not autistic? And the, one of the professors, he had changed our chairs. Like we came in for a test and our chairs oh, had been moved. And you do not do that to an autistic. Like you just don't do it. But after that, like I called the assistant dean because I had his number for my scripts. Because I have, I went to college for like 14 years. I have a, a ton of credits and everything. And the professor came up to me. He goes, listen, you know, you're, I can't read your handwriting. He threatened to write me down. And he said, if you have autism, it's a disability. You can't use computers, but you can use them if you have a disability. And yeah, it was just like, and then when I was officially diagnosed, it was like, no, I don't, don't do it official. And then, so I could tell people I don't officially have autism. I'm not officially autistic because I didn't want to be autistic. Cause I, when okay. she diagnosed me, I said, oh, I can fix this because that's what I do is I fix things. I can fix this. I'm not going to have autism. I'm going to fix it. So that's what I did is I tried to fix it. And all I did was make things way worse because I pretty much said, it's kind of like saying, I have to pee. It's what my body naturally does. I'm not going to pee. I'm not going yeah. to do it. It's like I was denying things that were natural to my body. Like my, I can't help it. My brain is literally wired differently. So I can't like go in there just because I force something. I can't do it. With time and after getting to know other artistics and realizing that it's not how it's portrayed in the media. It's not such a negative thing. It's not what that Jenny McCarty, whatever her name is, like, it's not something that has to be cured. It's not something that actually has a lot of gifts. And then especially when I realized like my IQ probably comes from my me having autism, my memory, my loyalty, my honesty, my good temper, my ability to, especially my, my honesty, because I cannot tell a lie to save my life. But like so many of these good qualities that make me me is due to me being autistic. So it went from being something like, I'm going to fix and I don't have it. I'm going to fix it to like, holy cow, I have it. I am autistic because the community prefers identity first. So autistic versus have autism and all that. It went to being like, this is actually, why is it portrayed to be such a bad thing? I know that there's death and I don't want to say it like, oh, it's a positive because I know that there are challenges. I think you're definitely aware of that, that there are definitely challenges. Like you can ask my husband, there's definitely challenges. But I think that there's so many strengths to it that, uh, so yeah, at first it was kind of like, oh no, I don't, mm -mm. 
I'm going to fix this to, oh my gosh, this is makes me me. Like without, I, who would I be if I wasn't autistic? It'd be really, I'd be, I, I don't know who I would be. I'd be, I don't know. I think that's one of the very difficult concepts to understand, at least for me individually, you know, it's like you, you want to get early intervention and get all of these things so that your kid can do ABC, but then it's difficult to do those things thinking that there's not a problem that you're trying to fix, you know, but then if you go in with this problem you're trying to fix, well, then you're starting to cut off the things that make them, them, you, them, right? So then mm-hmm. it's like, well, then do you do nothing, you know, I know, because there's nothing wrong. So why do something like the world just has to upgrade, you know, advance their offerings and the settings and the situations and like to accommodate all people? Or do we need to fix something so that we don't have to wear a diaper? their whole lives or something that seems like, oh, of course they would want to fix that. Or like, it's challenging. So I always say, and that's one of the things that upsets me, because like I said, there's not enough support for parents because there's a natural thing. You as someone who, you know, like even when I was expecting my children, I remember telling my husband, like, they're going to play for the Red Wings. They're going to play for the Red Wings. Like you have a dream for your children. Like you're, right. you imagine yourself like doing favorite things. Like I imagine myself eating sushi with them. I imagine myself going on hikes with them. And so you have a dream for your child. So when you're told something before, and like I said, when everything about this is negative, there's nothing really positive portrayed about it in the media. You're automatically going, oh my gosh, your dream's crushed. And like I tell the clients I work with, the dream has just changed a little bit. It's mm-hmm. not crushed. It's not, it's just we find a new way, which can be awesome because you're finding a new way. But there's definitely so like, I know when I work with clients, and we don't work as so focus so much on like I say, we don't do uh, it's more about the journey and not the end result. Because a, a parent may say, I want my child to brush their teeth, that might not be possible. Or that might not be a thing. I was working with somebody about hair care. And we can go through, you know, I have a whole process about how we make someone comfortable with like brushing teeth and hair care and stuff. But if it gets to the point that your child has long hair, we have tried everything on the market for hair brushing. It's a sensitivity. It's something that they are just not going to get comfortable with. We have to do what's best for the child and do short hair. Like it comes to their comfort and their what they need outweighs, well, I want to put bows in their hair. Well, I'm sorry. Your child's comfort comes first. So there's definite, I think there's a little bit of under a lot of understanding. And I don't think it's all necessarily crushed dreams or, but I did share a post the other day that when it comes to physical differences, you know, like I have big ears, I have a butt chin. Those things are like, you should be proud of your butt chin. But why can't I be proud of my the fact that I think differently? My ability to think differently. I mean, look at, I mean, even Elon Musk came out as being autistic. Like our ability to think differently allows us to do different things. And if we all thought the same way, they have like the, what is it? The pers- color personality tests. If we all were reds, it would be an interesting world. But thank goodness I'm a green and a yellow or an orange or whatever the heck, not an orange. The oranges are the fun ones, I think. Anywho, but like how awesome that we all are different, like that we have things. So we need to rejoice and celebrate these differences too and not just these differences. 
Totally. I couldn't agree more. There's a couple that I struggled with, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, that like family vacation or something like that. It's like, really? I can't have a family vacation? Like, I mean, this, you know, having a, the NBA athlete that nobody makes the NBA anyway isn't as hard to get over as, you know, it's summertime and everybody's going on their trips and you can't do that kind of a thing. So I'm going to be honest with you. I have extreme sensitivity to cold. I can't have wet on my back. I can't have wet on it. Uh, so like, like water. Yeah, no sweat, no water. So I and I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, you guys see this and a lot of people don't realize like when I work out, I can't work out like normal. I have to take breaks and wipe off my back because I will flip out. I can't have it. And um, one of our vacations early on in our relationship, my husband and I went camping. My first camping trip was backpacking and it was awesome. We did like eight miles. It was fantastic. With him, we went somewhere and it rained and it was cold. I couldn't function. I couldn't do anything. And I'm normally a type A, we do this, 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 and this, and I couldn't do it. And it's having to make alterations. So we have, uh, we bought an RV and I have all my stuff. Everything can be the exact same. I told him we went up there, we took the girls traveling and we were up there and there was a huge thunderstorm. And I just remember thinking like, if we were in a camp, we, we were driving around the next day and seeing people in tents and stuff. And I'm like, I would have died. I don't think like, I couldn't have done it. You have to take me home. I can't do this. Like, it's too much. So I find that we have to make changes. <laughs> like going from hotel room to hotel room to hotel room to hotel room isn't going to work. Taking me to one hotel room for a week, I can do that because I can set up my new routine. Doing a hotel room and then another one, it sucks, but it's all about finding, like, you know, we find an Airbnb that has like similar setups or an Airbnb that has something because, like I said, that's one of those things that's challenging. And sometimes with modifications, we can find a way to make it work. It's not always 100%, but sometimes we're able to find ways to make it work. I appreciate you know, and I guess as I slowly grow and learn, I'm, you know, I realize that expectations is the problem with everything for me, you know, like any expectation I have is the problem, it seems. And so why is this one thing, you know, I need to, so I'm learning that slowly, maybe by 50 or 60, I'll, I'll have it down. I was going to say, um, when, I, when I looked you up or whatever, you seem a very goal-driven person. So you, I think you're very much like me. You're like, I'm going to do this and we're going to do this. Like my counselor says, if I set a thing, it'll be done. And sometimes I do that too much. And I feel like you're probably the same way. You set this and it's going to be done. And then sometimes it's like, if something else puts it off, it's like, oh, well, I guess it's a little, you just have to go here. Exa- I mean, totally. My issue was, and I'm, I actually work very hard at being present and I have a whole morning routine that I do yeah, so that so I can awesome. be present because I'm so driven that I'm like, you know, I get the end in mind and then I start driving for it. And then all of a sudden, like, we'll buy that house and they'll say, what's wrong? And I'm like, all in depression because like, it was only about the drive to get there. And when I got there to find out that it wasn't like solving all my problems or like, you know, made the, made the world in some way, like I thought I would get like depressed. And, and that means I lived in the past and the future, like almost entirely. And so with my kids and stuff, I'm trying to get like, learn to be more present. Yeah. It's like I said, it sounds like you're a lot like me, like a goal. Cause my thing is like, I'm going to write a book to help parents understand us. It's like, but then I kept getting messages. I'm like spending four hours a day answering direct messages. I'm like, 
I need to do something else. There's got to be another way to help. I'm going to write a, I'm going to do this. And then it's kind of like, I have to like, you have to, you can't rescue the world. You can't save every child. You can't, you can only provide and share what you have. And I, like I said, I think you're very much like me. Do you have ADHD too? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, you need coffee. (laughs) You need coffee. That's why I used to be on Ritalin. It was great, but I feel like it made me too angry. And because I felt like I feel like my autism and my ADHD balance each other really well. And I felt like it made me too angry or something. So now now I live off coffee and like I drink coffee to go to sleep and everything. It's you might need coffee, too. (laughs) Wow, I'm learning so much. I really appreciate this conversation today. I'm really enjoying it. Did you send a favorite quote? I think I I did. It was by Montessori. Okay. You mind if I read it? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I love it. I followed these children, studied them closely, and they taught me how to teach them. Yeah. Maria Montessori. Are you familiar with Montessori at all? Yes. Do you, and I do you like do... he's in Waldorf in the beginning, so that was a little controversial. Um, well, Waldorf. I think it's kind of, there's a lot of similarities because like I homeschool my girls and it's very, Char- someone said, or someone pointed out, they're like, do you do Charlotte Mason? And I was like, I'm not familiar. And apparently the way I homeschool naturally is how I was unschooled. And it's very Charlotte Mason. So Montessori, I really like, and I always, re- I highly recommend it for, especially for autism, because for instance, like the senses are separate. So it's easy to recognize triggers and sensory issues and things like that. So it, it, I absolutely, it's amazing. But I started it 11 years ago with my nephew. And so when the girls were born, when I was pregnant, even before meeting my husband, I said, we're doing Montessori. I love it. It works really well. And it, and I like it for me as an autistic parent, because there's no noisy toys, no noisy. It's all about a more calm, peaceful environment. And I need that too. It works great all around. But I do, I want people to know like, that's the kind of coaching I do is child aligned. We follow the child. I'm not going to force your child to do this. I'm not going to teach you how to force your child to do this. We're doing what your child needs. We're helping them. So like I have parents who talk to me because they have like autistic children and children who aren't autistic and they need to kind of have a balanced household. So it's all about working and making things function because we all have to work together. I have autism, but my husband does not have to do everything to meet my every whim or to make it so that I never have to work on anything because... I'm autistic. You have to do everything. No, no, that's not how it works. We're a household. We have to work together. We're family. So it's Montessori line, keeping with we follow the child. We let them tell us what they need, essentially. I love that. That's another challenge. If you're so busy and driven, then, you know, it's like, let me feed my yeah. child rather than yeah. letting them feed themselves. And then, you know, because I got to get this done because I only have yeah. this kind of window. That's not the kind of life I want to have had laying on my deathbed, you know, thinking I was driven to make whatever and rather than be with my child and follow them and see see who they are. I love that. Yeah. There's so much observing. I think one of the things is, is like, there's so much sitting back and observing and just watching. And sometimes it's like, I need to do, it's like, you know what? I need to sit here. So I'm really good at, um, one of my things is I'm really good at prioritizing. I only work when my girls sleep. And even then I try to prioritize so that I, my husband also comes first because it's so easy to say like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't want to watch a movie with you or hang out with you. 
I need to work on this. So my course I wanted to have done in a month. I'm going to have it done in a month. Took me a year to write a book, but I'm going to have a whole course with everything in it in a month. Yeah, Yeah. not happening. And instead, when I started writing it, I'm like, there's so much I want to cover and there's so much I want to give parents and partners and other people, even other autistics, autistic parents, because I often get like, how do you deal with your children wanting to touch you? We have a a space when they want to touch me, we cuddle, there's a chair, we have a cuddle chair. So like, you know, it's all about boundaries and respecting each other, them and me. I don't just go up and hug them when they don't, you know, back off, mom, I need, I'm working on something. So, you know, I pushed it back. I said, you know, I really want to make sure this is done properly. So I'll have it done next year because I gave myself a year and I'm going to give myself a year for this to make sure it's done properly. And because when I was writing the outline, like, I'm like, I have eight pages. I'm good. I'm up to like 19 pages, just an outline. So I don't, it's going to take a little while, but I'd rather have it. I'd rather have someone get it and like have everything at their fingertips and go, oh my gosh. So this is why my child has food sensitivities. This is why, you know, I can try this or this, or, you know, I shouldn't do this or something. You know, I want them to have everything that they could possibly think of like right there for them. I love that. Uh, I don't want to take too much time and I have a a couple more questions. What do you do to care for yourself? Oh, I love this. I'm going to share a little bit. Emotions can be very difficult for a lot of us to read and to, or for ourselves even, because there's times I feel something. My husband, the first time I felt jealousy was so weird. I remember calling my sister. I'm like, I have a weird, something weird is happening. I don't know what's going on. She's like, describe it. And she goes, that's jealousy. I'm like, I don't think I'm jealous. Like, I don't think I'm jealous. And she goes, yeah, that's jealousy. It's jealousy. So it's like, I've experienced jealousy like once, but there's times my husband will say, are you mad? Are you him? I'm like, I don't know yet. Give me a second. Let me understand it. Cause it's almost like I have to categorize. I have to like take what I'm feeling and I have to like think about it and go, Oh, you know what? I'm mad at you. I'm really mad at you. Or I'm not really mad at you. I'm kind of sad and I'm hurt. But sometimes all those emotions and time, I can't always express them. I don't always know I'm feeling them because this is how I feel most of the time, just kind of like neutrally happy that I need to release them. And I've discovered that. So that my best analogy is like a blackboard. You take it and you write it and like, say you write sad or happy and you wipe it off. And then the next time you're like, oh, I'm feeling angry or whatever, and you wipe it off. Well, after time, you wipe it off, but you still have that residue on there. And you have to take like a wet cloth and wipe it off. It's almost like new. And that's what crying is like. So once a week, I try to take time to cry. And the worst thing is, is like, I don't get emotional from stuff. And I only found two things that make me cry. And they're, have you ever seen Call the Midwife? No. Okay, it's awesome. You're totally missing out, but it's it's awesome. It's on on PBS, but it's the only thing that like makes me cry. So like, there's an episode on there that if I need every once a week, I try to watch it and it makes me cry. And then it's like I don't know. It's like uh, I'm released. It's like I okay again. I don't know. It's really weird. It's like I'm huge into like don't prevent children from crying. Let them cry, and but you know it's healthy. Like crying is healthy. So yeah, that's like one of my things that I do for self care is I cry, but I also like once a week I'll try to sit there because my brain. I think you're the same way. The brain is just like do 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 do. So I have to sit there and I don't work. I don't do anything, and I just like watch some silly childhood TV show or movie or something, and and I just force myself to pretty much hang there and I play like Sudoku. 
because I have you have I have to do something. I can't just sit there. Yeah. But yeah, so that's how I self care is I make myself cry and I watch like a childhood favorite show. That is a first for me um, to hear that one. I love that. That's awesome. Are you up for a, a lightning round where you you give sure. one, one as long word as you don't mind sentence? as huh? long as you don't mind the answers. I don't mind. I don't okay, mind you it. get whatever. We have no filter, so that's right. <laughs> I love no filter. That's why the that's what where the name of the show came from. Woo-hoo. You know, keeping it real, keeping it All real. Right. All right. What's the best advice you have received? Oh gosh. The first thing that came to mind is always give a child more. Like if a child's having, this is not at all related, but it's the first thing that came to mind. I think that's what you want. As I read somewhere, like if a child is having like a lemonade stand and they're asking for 50 cents, give them like five bucks. Like, I don't know something because it's like teaching children that there's good in the world. Like there's like, I don't know. It's just teaching them something. But that's like one of the best things I ever saw. That's like the first thing. Sorry, lightning round. That was the first thing that came to mind. I like it. Do you have a top resource or recommendation to share with other parents? Nicole Cavanaugh. That's for Montessori, for like Montessori stuff. Um, I love her. (laughs) I adore her. Great. What's the next thing on your list that you want to add for your individual well-being? I'd like to learn another language, but I don't know if that's necessarily individual well-being, but I feel like I eat well. I work out. I take good care of myself. I guess that's the only other thing to like keep myself mentally challenged. I consider that well-being a hobby, or any, I consider that well-being. Okay, taking time to do something that's important to you. Okay, what's one thing you think would improve your life if you did it or had it? Honestly, like the number one thing, another place where we live is like it gets cold in the winter, and it's so I get so depressed because, like I said, I have a sensory to cold. So like a house somewhere warm, <laughs> like Florida or Hawaii or somewhere warm or yeah, that would be really nice. I love it. I love it. And we're, you know, winding down here. Is there, what's the top guidance that you'd like to share with the parents of Naked Parent Nation? The top guidance? guidance? Listen to your children. Observe and truly listen. If I can say this, but it's kind of like when I hear some people say like they pray and then they listen, but they only hear what they want to like, don't truly listen, like sit there and just watch and observe because I was talking, one of the parents was like, there's no positive or whatever. And then it's like, but their smile just lights up their world. And it's like, observe, watch, take it in, just like follow them and let them talk to you. Like if your child goes somewhere and then they're having tantrums when they come home, but oh, they're so good there. Listen to that. They're listen to them. They're saying something's not right. And I'm not, I'm having to know. Yeah. Just listen to your child and observe them and follow them. They know you can listen to experts. Oh, that's another thing is if someone claims to be like an autism expert, run because it's seriously a marketing thing like unless you're autistic you can't be an expert in it but it's you read marketing books and i'm i don't know if you ever did you seem very educated but like that's like one of the things they say claim to be an expert in something so then like autism apparently is like a hot topic so people are like i'm an autism expert no you're not you're you don't know too if you knew how many messages i get from autism experts but yeah listen and don't do autism experts (laughs) that's great guidance i think that's great guidance can you tell us a little bit about what you do kind of professionally like what people would contact you for i mean do you take new do you work with new parents on a regular basis yeah actually 
I actually have people message me first about what they would like to work on. Because if it's something like, I want my child to stop doing this, I'm not going to like, I don't want my children to stime anymore. Well, are they hurting themselves or somebody else? Well, no. Well, I'm sorry, but your child needs to do that. It's a regulation. Like they need to regulate. So I pretty much like uh, help with brushing teeth, just even understanding like the way your child thinks. Um, One of the first things I usually recommend and I actually is a self-care, like a care area. You need to get away to like, if you're having at our house, if there comes a meltdown or something, my girls have an area where we have like meditation tracers and they know that if something's up, they can go to this area and it's like a place they can calm. So they need it like a calm area. In my book, I talked about a cave, like in a um, having it be a closet. It all depends. Like, does your child like light? Do they have light sensitivities? Do they have noise sensitivity? Like following your child and creating a safe space. Because when a child has a safe space, you can actually, they just, you need a safe space. Like everybody needs a safe space. But when you live in your parents' home and everything's set up for neurotypicals and stuff, sometimes you just need to have a place where your sensors and you just need a safe space. So I usually help people set up like a comfort area, a safe, like a safe space for their children, working on things, like I said, like uh, personal care, like teeth brushing, hair brushing, things like that. But most of the time, it's like helping parents understand, like, for instance, discipline. You can't discipline us the same way you would discipline someone who's neurotypical. We don't respond the same way. It doesn't really work for us. So just things like that. So just general basic stuff. I normally help understanding different sensors and things like that. I can talk to you forever. I really could. I really enjoyed this conversation. Maybe we can put in the show notes a way for people to get a hold of you if that's something that you actually want. Yeah, the um, website um, I have, I offer one-on-one coaching and... We'll put that in the show notes. And I would love to do, have another conversation. Oh yeah, you just, anytime. you're a blast. Anytime you want And just uh, hear the progress, just where you're headed. It's so interesting to me. And I'm so grateful you took the time to be on our show And I wish you everything that you want out of life. Thank you so very much. And I'm going to stay on. All right. This concludes our show for today. And I'd like to personally thank you for spending the time with us on a topic near and dear to our hearts. If you'd like to be part of the Naked Parent Nation and help us reach those parents that are struggling and overwhelmed, there's no better way to help than by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes. iTunes highlights the shows based on these metrics, and the more the show gets highlighted, the more opportunities people will have to be introduced to the show where they can hear that message of hope or that tip that can change everything. So follow the link in our show notes And we hope to have you back here tomorrow where we'll do it again. From the team here at the Naked Parent Podcast, we wish you the life you've always dreamed of and then some. So long.